Hello and welcome to Womance's public access read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I am the odd chapter reader, Morgan. Morgan. Yes, Isabeau. We're coming up here on chapter 42. The meaning of life. Uh, so we got we got high expectations for this chapter. Uh, can you tell us what happened in uh, chapter forty one? Real quick, forty two meaning of life. Where'd we? How, where'd we? How'd we land there? Uh, that's an inside joke for comedy sci fi fans who have read the book The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Okay. Forty two is the meaning of life. That's like the big joke and that very funny. Okay. Joke. So cool. Got it. So, 41. (laughs) It's worse when you make me explain it. I don't think it is because, like, if we just breeze past it, what's... It's for all of the nerdy romantics out there who fucking knew what I was talking about. (sighs) All right. Well, shout out to you three. (laughs) I'll give you a moment to wipe the tears from your eyes. (laughs) Like... It's just me and my sister. <laughs> <laughs> that joke's for you, bub. Uh, all right. So chapter 41, Lydia found her way to Brighton. She's made friends with this newly minted wife of a gen- of an officer. And she scored herself an invite to Brighton. And her family was like, yeah, she should go. And Lizzie was like, are you guys effing kidding me right now and so she had that conversation with her dad where she was like she's gonna embarrass the family and it's gonna reflect badly on all of us your other daughters and he's like "Mm, i don't think anyone will uh use her for her money she doesn't have any chill out dude and lizzie didn't say this but it's like that's not really what she was complaining about anyways and so uh lydia departed for brighton she did it's a perfect summation of that chapter. Thank you. Thanks. Had Elizabeth's opinion been all drawn from her own family, she could not have formed a very pleasing picture of conjugal felicity or domestic comfort. Her father, captivated by youth and beauty and that appearance of good humor which youth and beauty generally give, had married a woman whose weak understanding and illiberal mind had very early in their marriage put an end to all real affection for her. <sighs> Oh, wow. That is a stinging set down. I know. Conjugal felicity, that's when the the prisoner gets <laughs> special leave for his for his lady to bring him Oreos and then in the they hook up in the trailer, the right? It's conjugal felicity. That's what that means. Which we know happened at least five times in <laughs> Longborn House. <laughs> Respect, esteem. And confidence had vanished forever, and all his views of domestic happiness were overthrown. But Mr. Bennet was not of a disposition to seek comfort for the disappointment which his own imprudence had brought on, and any of these those pleasures which too often console the unfortunate for their folly or their vice. He was fond of the country and of books, and from these tastes had arisen his principal enjoyments to his wife. He was very little otherwise indebted, and as her ignorance and folly had contributed to his amusement. This is not the sort of happiness which a man would in general wish to owe to his wife. 
But where other powers of entertainment are wanting, the true philosopher will derive benefit from such as are given. Elizabeth, however, had never been blind to the impropriety of her father's behavior as a husband. Hmm. She had always seen it with pain. But respecting his abilities and grateful for his affectionate treatment of herself, she endeavored to forget what she could not overlook and to banish from her thoughts that continual breach of conjugal obligation and decorum, which, in exposing his wife to the contempt of her own children, was so highly reprehensible. But she had never felt so strongly as now the disadvantages which must attend the children of so unsuitable a marriage, nor ever been so fully aware of the evils arising from so ill-judged a direction of talents, talents which, rightly used, might at least have preserved the respectability of his daughters, even if incapable of enlarging the mind of his wife. When Elizabeth had rejoiced over Wickham's departure, she found little other cause for satisfaction in the loss of the regiment. Their parties abroad were less varied than before, and at home she had a mother and a sister whose constant repinings at the dullness of everything around them threw a real gloom over their domestic circle, and though Kitty might in time regain her natural degree of sense, since the disturbers of her brain were removed, her other sister, from whose disposition greater evil might be might be apprehended was likely to be hardened in all her folly and assurance by a situation of such double danger as a watering place and a camp yikes upon the whole therefore she found what has been sometimes found before that an event to which she had looked forward to with impatient desire did not in taking place bring all the satisfaction she had promised herself it was consequently necessary to name some other period for the commencement of actual felicity, to have some other point on which her wishes and hopes might be fixed, and by again enjoying the pleasure of anticipation, console herself for the present and prepare for another disappointment. Her tour of the lakes was now the object of her happiest thoughts, it was her best consolation for all the uncomfortable hours which the discontentedness of her mother and Kitty made inevitable, and could, she, and could she have included Jane in the scheme, every part of it would have been perfect. But it is fortunate, thought she, that I have something to wish for, or the whole arrangement complete, my disappointment would be certain. But here, by my carrying with me one ceaseless source of regret in my sister's absence, I may, be reason I may reasonably hope to have all my expectations of pleasure realized, a scheme of which every part promises delight, can never be successful, and general disappointment is only worded off by the defense of some little peculiar vexation. Cool. <laughs> when Lydia went away, she promised to write very often and very minutely to her mother and Kitty, but her letters were always long, expected, and always very short. Those to her mother contained little else than that they were just returned from the library where such and such officers had attended them and where she had seen such beautiful ornaments as made her quite wild and that she had a new gown or a new parasol which she would have described more fully which was obliged to leave off in a violent hurry as Miss Forster called her and they were going to the camp and from her correspondence with her sister there was still less to be learned for her letters to Kitty though rather longer which were much too full of lines under the words to be made public. After the first fortnight, or three weeks, of her absence, health, good humor, and cheerfulness began to reappear at Longburn. Everything 
wore a happier aspect. The families who had been in town for the winter came back again, and summer finery and summer engagements arose. Mrs. Bennet was restored to her usual querulous serenity, and by the middle of June, Kitty was so much recovered as to be able to enter Meryton without tears, an event of such happy promise as to make Elizabeth hope that by the following Christmas she might be so tolerably reasonable as not to mention an officer above once a day, unless by some cruel and malicious arrangement at the war office another regiment should be quartered in Meryton. The time fixed for the beginning of their northern tour was now fast approaching, and a fortnight only was wanting of it, when a letter arrived from Mrs. Gardiner, which at once delayed its commencements and curtailed its extent. Mr. Gardiner would be prevented by business from setting out till a fortnight after, a fortnight later in July, and must be in London again within a month, and as that left too short a period for them to go so far and see so much as they had proposed, or at least to see it with the leisure and comfort they had built on, they were obliged to give up the lakes and substitute a more contracted tour, and according to the present plan, were to go no farther northward than Derbyshire. In the county, there was enough to be seen to occupy the chief of their three weeks, and to Mrs. Gardiner it had a peculiar peculiarly strong attraction the town where she had formerly passed some years of her life and where they were now to spend a few days was probably as great an object of her curiosity as all the celebrated beauties of matlock chatsworth dovedale or the peak elizabeth was excessively disappointed she had set her heart on seeing the lakes and still thought there might be there might have been time enough but it was her business to be satisfied and certainly her temper to be happy and all was soon right all was soon right again with the mention of derbyshire there were many ideas connected it was impossible for her to see the word without thinking of pemberley and its owner but surely said she i may enter his county with impunity and rob it of a few petrified spars without his perceiving me the period of expectation was now doubled. Four weeks were to pass away before her uncle and aunt's arrival, and they did pass away, and Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner, with their four children, did at length appear at Longburn. The children, two girls of six and eight years, and two younger boys, were to be left under the particular care of their cousin Jane, who was the general favorite, and whose steady sense and sweetness of temper exactly adapted her for attending them in every way, teaching them, playing with them, and loving them. The gardeners stayed only one night at Longbourn and set off the next morning with Elizabeth in pursuit of novelty and amusement. One enjoyment was certain, that of suitable, suitableness of companions, a suitableness which comprehended health and temper to bear inconveniences, cheerfulness to enhance every pleasure, and affection and intelligence which might supply it among themselves if there were disappointments abroad. It is not the object of this work to give a description of Derbyshire, nor any of the remarkable places through which their route thither lay. Oxford, Blenheim, Warwick, Kenilworth, Bingham are sufficiently known. A small part of Derbyshire is all the present concern. To this little town of Lambton, the scene of Miss Gardiner's former residence, and where she had lately learned that some acquaintance still remained, they bent their steps after having seen all the principal wonders of the country, and within five minutes of Lambton, Elizabeth found from her aunt that Pemberley was situated. It was not in their direct road, and no more than a mile or two out of it. In talking over their route the evening before, Mrs. Gardiner expressed an inclination to see the place again. Mr. Gardiner declared his willingness, and Elizabeth was applied to for her approbation. 
My love, should you not like to see a place of which you have heard so much, said her aunt, a place, too, with which so many of your acquaintance are connected. Wickham passed all his youth there, you know. <laughs> Elizabeth was distressed. She felt that she had no business at Pemberley and was obliged to assume a disinclination for seeing it. She must own that she was tired of great houses. After going over so many, she really had no pleasure in fine carpets or satin curtains. Mrs. Gardner abused her, dis her stupidity. If it were merely a fine house richly furnished, she said, I should not care about it myself. But the grounds are delightful. They have some of the finest woods in the country. Elizabeth said no more, but her mind could not acquiesce. The possibility of meeting Mr. Darcy while viewing the place instantly occurred. It would be dreadful. She blushed at the very idea and thought it would be better to speak openly to her aunt than to run such a risk. But against this, there were objections, and she finally resolved that it could be the last resource for private inquiries as to the absence of the family were unfavorably answered. Accordingly, when she retired at night, she asked the chambermaid whether Pemberley were not a very fine place, what was the name of its proprietor, and with no little alarm whether the family were down for the summer. A most welcome negative followed the last question, and her alarms being now removed, she was at leisure to feel a great deal of curiosity to see the house herself. And when the subject was revived the next morning, and she was again applied to, she could readily answer, and with a proper air of indifference, that she had not really any dislike to the scheme. To Pemberley, therefore, they were to go. To Pemberley, therefore, they would go. I feel like the beginning of this chapter ties up a lot of loose knots from the earlier part of our earlier discussions about how Lizzie feels about her father. Um, mm. It is interesting, though, that in this, this chapter does frame it as, like, Lizzie had long had this conscientiousness because you don't really get that sense from the earlier chapters at all that she's problematizing her father but i think like this book is a bit of a coming of age novel a bit of a building's, building's roman <laughs> at least these past few chapters have have stated that i think the line that really sticks with me is <clears throat> Uh, she had always seen it with pain, but respecting his abilities and grateful for his affectionate treatment of herself, right, which is like something we picked up on in the first chapters where she aligned herself with dad against mom, she endeavored to forget what she could not overlook. And that feels like a particular kind of survival mechanism for Lizzie, right? But it also, I think, bespeaks a kind of uh, flexibility of morals. Like a, a kind of a flexibility in her own thinking where she's like, she's not as righteous and good natured as like the first half of this book would have us or have her believe. Yeah. And a plasticity of ethic. Yes. And I think what's wild to me about those two paragraphs, there's very little in film adaptations to problematize Mr. Bennett in this particular way. I wonder if that's true or if it's just because Donald Sutherland is so hot. He's so hot. <laughs> it's and he's for so him. hot as the dad. It's <laughs> fucked up. It's fucked up how hot he is. He like cannot help himself. But even the dad in the miniseries, like he's not hurtful. No. He's benignly neglectful. 
And he does certainly regard Mrs. Bennet as silly. But I don't like the the crime of making her ridiculous and leaving her open to the like the bad feeling of her children. Yeah. And like that being a particular kind of crime. That's not something that that's a cruelty that Lizzie thinks is bad and has thought is bad for a long time, but also like is hurtful to herself as the child of such an imprudent marriage. I think the miniseries adaptation kind of definitely puts the Bennets in opposition to one another, but also depicts them as both silly Mm -hmm. in their own right. And then I think the Donald Sutherland version, you know, he's very almost suave. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, Mrs. Bennet is silly, but she's ultimately kind of good natured. Mm-hmm. if like a little bit more on the and it's interesting that the book is so explicit that he's cruel and that they are not in love and that this the fact that they made this impu- imprudent match when they were younger and hornier is why <laughs> their children suffer so much now is is not really featured <laughs> in adaptations and not something that like stood out in my mind Mm-mm. enough for me to recall it really clearly before we started this reading. No, I I never saw Mister Bennett that way, and like the and the particularities of this right respect, esteem, and confidence had vanished forever, and his views of domestic happiness were overthrown. Like Mister Bennett is in an unhappy marriage, and Miss and he's mean to his wife, and it says conjugal delights. <laughs> it does say that. Um, yeah, it's it's very explicit about how we got here. The other the other thing that stood out to me in this chapter is like this thing thinking about children. Mm-hmm. I think because of this like kind of coming of age, and then here you know her cousins are coming to stay, and Jane is going to take care of them because she's you know that type of personality. But I also think like so many novels and so many like memoirs and lived experiences come from spending s- long periods of summer away from your parents. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do that with your kid? Because I don't think it happens as much anymore. I don't think you like send your child to stay with their aunt and uncle for like two weeks. I don't think they do that much nowadays. So... Did you do that as a kid? I don't think so. I did. I spent uh, a very... Well, we're a generation apart. (laughs) (laughs) I would frequently, from the time that I was young, spend two weeks, not at camp, but uh, with my God family, and then with this other family from church... Mm-hmm. And originally, my mother sort of signed me up as a mother's helper because uh, my other family, the mom had recently had twins and she had two older girls. And so uh, the first summer I went, I was 13. And she's like, you can you like, I'm so preoccupied with the babies. I really feel like my two older girls who at the time were like five and seven, um, they're not getting enough attention. Would you like, please you know be with them watch them um, put on <laughs> put on little musicals do whatever and like I did that yeah until I was in my 20s like I went for a week every summer I took time off of work you know I was there through college 
Um, so absolutely, I'm going to send my spawn away, um, whether or not it's to blood relatives or to people who love her. Blood relatives or people who love her. <laughs> I said what I said. Stand by it. Uh, because I think it's really fruitful like to see someone's marriage that isn't your parents. Whoa. Like it was it was really important to me to see how other people's marriages functioned. It was a really intense learning experience. Or other people's families. Other people's families, other people's units. And like the the older I got, which is why I think it's interesting that they take Lizzie with them on what is essentially mm-hmm. a child-free holiday. Like, why would you take your 22-year-old niece? Yeah. Like, because they want to enjoy some time with like a young adult and give her special time. Like, the gardeners yeah. are the best. Like, they're the best aunt and uncle. And I think like... That was really important to me. So absolutely, I'm going to send my kid away. And I think, like, it's different than sending a kid to camp, right, where they're surrounded by peers, where it's like if you send them to a different... Put them in a different family. Right? And they can watch the different dynamics. They get to play different roles. But they also get to see roles enacted that they are familiar with, but they play differently. I think that's really important for kids. And, like, Mm. my best friend from childhood like came up for a week every summer in June uh, from the time that she was 11 until she was 18. She just spent a week with my family like we were camp. And yeah, I think like it was important for all of us in that way. And also like my parents didn't believe in camp, I guess, because like they just sent me away to other people in the summer. I guess there was I guess there were points in my life where I spent like a week away from my parents, but like with my grandparents or like with a family yeah. friend, yeah. Or a family friend would come and stay with me. But I, I do think there's like I keep thinking about the song um Sunshine in Chicago, which I can't stop, which is a weird thing that's but he talks about being put on a bus and sent to live with his uncles in Chicago. So I, I, yeah, I've just been thinking about that. Isabeau and I are of the same generation. That was a <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. We are not far apart. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I just thought it would be funny, and it, and it was. <laughs> it would be funnier if this was a YouTube podcast. And not... The audience would have gotten to enjoy that a little bit more. <laughs> That's true. No, I think one of the things that's funniest about this, like, going away part in this part of the discussion is, like, as a kid, my parents and I used to call it my Jane Austen visit. Oh, yeah. Because, like, my sister has also lived in uh, the Mountain West for a very, very long time, like, since, I don't know, God, since the year 2000, essentially. So, like, it's hard to get to the Mountain West, and it especially was in the 2000s, the early 2000s. Like, we didn't fly a ton and so like and those tickets were crazy expensive so it's like do you want to go see katie or do you want katie to come see you and it's like for many years i would be like well i have to go for at least 10 days because otherwise it's a hundred dollars a day to see my sister and i can't (laughs) stomach that cost and so like i the longer i stay like the cheaper the ticket right like in my mind right like a, a use per wear almost 
And so, like, I would have these, like, massive Jane Austen visits, but also it's because my family has been geographically spread out for much of my life. You, so you would go and stay with your sister, just the two of you? I started doing that as a teen. There were two times that okay. I did it. I always super loved that. But you would go for, like, ten days. Tear it up. Get forced to go camping. Yep. Literally forced. <laughs> There are other, like, fun things. Like, we would read out loud to each other in the tent. <laughs> That's nice. That is really cute. That's yep. really sweet. You have been, for, like, someone who doesn't enjoy camping, you have been in some of the most, like, interesting, abs- like, deep yes. camping cuts. You have camped like a true aficionado. <laughs> I have. It's extremely true. Um, <laughs> and I am very lucky that I get to do that. And I... It is not. I enjoy the company. And I enjoy the trappings. Like, I like the outfits. It's not the vacation you plan for yourself now that you're an adult. Yeah. (laughs) It's not. But when other people are like, I would like to go backpacking and I want you to go with me, I will say, okay. Yeah. When I've been random, when I've found myself in need of random equipment, you're the first to ask. And there never is a second. You always have. I always have it. I have backpacks. <laughs> you always have what I need. I have crampons. Yep. I've got uh, all sorts of weather gear. My sleeping bag is rated for negative 30. I've never slept in negative 30. <laughs> listeners. But it's rated for it. It's rated for it. I have it. And I also have a very nice tent, um, which I've used exactly three times because when I've been camping, Everybody else brings their stuff because their stuff is also better. Yeah. That's the thing. You only need like one nice tent per friend pod. That's true. That's a really good point. And my tent is good, but it's like, it's not, it's not small and light like this backpacking tent that my friend has. I think like friendship pods should all function like uh, mutual aid where like one person owns a weed eater. One person owns a nice tent. I think that's right, right? And, like, everyone should know who that person is. And, like, you know, there should be, like, the rotating basis or schedule where it's like, oh, hey, can I get that X or that Y? Like, I've got a weird number of power tools. That's great. That's useful knowledge for me now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, like, here's the thing. Like, there's, like, I have to know a lot about you to know that I can shop for camping gear at your house you would have to know like there's nothing about me that says i bet morgan owns like an industrial sander but i do i have two that's so helpful <laughs> i actually need that's good to know like also i wouldn't have guessed <laughs> like, yeah and if you know me you wouldn't guess that i have excellent camping gear yeah exactly exactly uh anyways things are strange uh speaking of housework <laughs> the house lizzie's off to the ultimate house the final house boss of Pride and Prejudice. I'm excited. I'm I'm very excited. I'm very excited too. All right. Well, with that, I think uh, definitely loosen your prejudices, but not your prides. Mm-hmm.